It's Monday, September 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Pool One, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gentlemen. Yes, sir. You too, eh? And a gorgeous Monday it is. Yeah, well, it's just totally, uh, I mean, it falls in the air. In the- it is. It is. And this is, I know that the D.C. area gets a lot of... Uh, publicity in the spring for the oh you got to go for the cherry blossoms and that kind of thing <laughs> and that's true the cherry blossoms are lovely but holy cow September is if you get to see them they're here they're gone right. in yes. a matter of days if these are heavy rainfall you're so well yeah September very good time to be in the DC area it is an all mailbag episode of market foolery today but how great is that you can have a show where it's all mailbag I mean, that's that shows that we have listeners a big we shout out to our mailbag. dozens of producers pretty, yeah, uh, exactly pretty cool. um, but we'll start actually not technically with email but with a question uh from twitter you can always follow us on twitter at market foolery from robert rosen in phoenix arizona have you checked out gopro lately pretty straightforward question just uh for those unfamiliar this is the company the the Mobile cameras, uh, in a nutshell, I guess, is is how you describe the business. Uh, IPO in June. The stock has doubled, more than doubled since then, Taylor. And up today, hitting a new all-time high today. Got an, uh, a nice upgrade from City. Did uh, I now? Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, what do you think of GoPro, the business? Obviously, great ride for the stock. Good, good for you if you got in on the IPO or anytime shortly thereafter. Yeah, I, mean, I like this. I like the product. At least I'm not an investor in the company. Um, the cameras are pretty outstanding quality, given the durability that they that they have. I've got one myself. Um, they came into the market with dominant market share in in their respective uh, small mobile camera market, and they had a profit when they IPO'd, which is a rarity it seems these days. Um, that being said, the doubling since its IPO and more. It has me a little worried right now. The the growth has been slowing, but they're not going to grow it over 100% year over year into perpetuity. So that's to be expected. But where they're trading at above 70 times their earnings is a little worrisome for me, especially given the way the market has been running uh, lately. So if I'm putting put new money to work, it's probably not going to be in a risky stock like this. But if they can get their content distribution, uh, because I mean, they're using their users to generate their content. The company itself really isn't producing anything, but the, when you upload your content to their website or on their on their content management software, it's effectively theirs, and they can license it out if they want to. So um, I think that could be a profitable model, but they haven't really tried it yet. So it's interesting, but uh, they're moving internationally with their products, so there's still some room on the hardware side, but I would wait as an investor to see if they can get their act together on the on the marketing and on the the licensing side because the content that's being produced is you know pretty outstanding um, given the the perspective that you can use these cameras with and and just the the extreme nature that people are putting these to use you're getting footage that you could never have gotten before and they have it all in their inventory it's to see if they can monetize it is the key here yeah Jason if nothing else if you're an investor looking at this stock you absolutely need to put it at that end of the spectrum in your portfolio that is higher risk, potentially higher mm-hmm. reward. This is definitely a bet, in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that, for the most part, when we when we look at hardware companies, I mean, hardware typically sort of evolves into just a race to the bottom at some point, right? I mean, it's that's kind of the nature of hardware. So, then it's figuring out a way to monetize that model beyond just the hardware. Um, and so, that's GoPro's big challenge, right, is, is they have, I think, really, you know, to my mind, uh, the best equipment out there. 
and, and then it's going to be just a matter of figuring out can they make that transition transition to a media company uh, like they like they say they want. If they do it successfully, then that's great. Um, if they don't, there's there are going to be some serious questions as to how how much growth there actually is with these guys. But um, you know, I, I think about it from the perspective like if Google or Apple were to come out with a GoPro style offering today. I think they would have a hard time disrupting GoPro. I think they would have a hard time convincing people to say, no, use our product instead of GoPro's, because GoPro has done such a great job in, in defining that little niche. Uh, but, but really, the key for them is going to be making that next step to you know, a full-fledged media company. And, and uh, so I, I, while I have this one on my list as one I, I follow, I'm interested in it, um, I, I wouldn't be buying it today at these lofty multiples. We're in the middle of a, you know, obviously the market's been doing very well. Um, and I have a feeling that, that we're going to see, you know, some pulling back here uh, sooner or later. And, and GoPro would probably be one that, that would pull back. One, one thing I think will be interesting to watch, and I've seen this pop up already, is uh, people writing about what is good. Because every year around the holidays, there is sort of the hot gadget, the yeah. you know, at the higher end of the spectrum in terms of price. And I, I've seen a few times now people saying, it's this. It's not. It's not the the new iPhone. It's not the next generation tablet. That sort of thing. It's th- this camera is going to be the hot gadget for the holidays. If it, that's one of those things that if it comes to fruition, um, like you said, a lot of lofty expectations built into this stock. But it, it would be pretty it, all the more impressive if they were to top that based on it actually coming true, that it is the hot holiday gadget. I got one last Christmas, so I mean, I think last year was probably one of the first years. So I shouldn't get you one this Christmas. No, yeah, if if you're already thinking about it, (laughs) put put your full goal to use somewhere somewhere else. But um, no, yeah, I mean, I think that it's had a, uh, that kind of, I guess, put on a pedestal as far as one of those hot hot gadgets to buy somebody because it is so unique you've got your phone you've got a life proof case but you still don't want to risk putting that underwater for hours right. or jumping out of a plane with it so this is really the only camera that i think has the capabilities that it does and um like i said as a hardware thing it's a great product but if i was an investor and i was betting on this for the long term i would expect it to be acquired by a media company that could put it to use immediately or like a Google that could just turn it right into its YouTube channel and and have that product like they did with Nest and then Dropcam as well. Our email address is radio at fool.com. A question from Hilton Early in Park City, Utah about the news that Vail Resorts acquired Park City Resorts for $182 million. Uh, Hilton writes, I'd love to hear your comments on Vail Resorts' future. I believe this is a recommendation of one of your services. Uh, would love to hear your comment. Jason, uh, this is a stock advisor recommendation? It yes. is a stock advisor and, recommendation. I believe it's in the Hidden Gems universe as well. Uh, um, the and, deal was announced last Thursday. Since then, shares of Vail Resorts up about 14%. So, certainly the market appears to like this deal. Yeah. Let me just say, too, whenever I hear the words Park City, I mean, I immediately go to this place in my head that's just like nothing but happiness. Like, this was the first place I ever went skiing ever in my entire life when I was like, I don't know, 13 years old. Spoiled right from the beginning. It was, yes. So, my, my parents <laughs> really jaded. set us up so that we, you know, I, I, I can't go anywhere but out west, uh, you know, at this point in the game. So, yeah, Park City, wow. I'm a little bit jealous of you being out there, Hill. Uh, but but very good question. I think you know when you look at something like this, when you see litigation like this that you know that, that Vale Resorts was involved in, 
when you see this litigation come to a conclusion, what it does is it removes the uncertainty from the picture. Uh, and, and we know the market doesn't really like uncertainty so much. And so when you remove that uncertainty, uh, you typically see the enthusiasm for that. And that's why we saw that pop on the stock price. Because really, it was an interesting setup here for them to actually uh, to, to, to be able to get access to this property in full. Because initially, it was it was just the mountain and not the base and the access to the mountain. So there were there were some questions there as to really uh, how this was going to how they were going to be able to utilize uh, the the property uh, going forward. And so I mean, it seems like you know the powers that be at Powder, uh, I guess, were asleep at the wheel and letting this lease lapse. Um, and so you know, Vail rightfully swooped in there and, and made a deal, signed the lease, and I think that was that was a good thing. You know, the big catalyst. For for Vail Resorts in the near term, at least, is this Epic Discovery initiative, which is a it's a, it's an initiative that's going to expand their summer offerings because obviously, you know, these mountains out west. I mean, they are very seasonal, known for their skiing uh, facilities, uh, but but it's still very unique geography that that can really come into play during the summer as well. So they're trying to open that up and, and create a new revenue stream. They feel like it can bring somewhere around the neighborhood of forty million dollars or so to the bottom line. For the company, and so that's great. I mean, you have a company here with, I mean, a, a pretty pretty healthy balance sheet. They make the money uh, to be able to pay for it, and and you know when you look at their earnings, uh, I mean, it's worth noting that the depreciation and amortization play a big part in that income statement. Which those are non cash charges, which make their earnings seem lower than they actually really are. Uh, it's consistently cash flow positive. It's very unique, right? I mean, this is virtually impossible to replicate. Uh, so I mean I love the portfolio of, of properties they have out there, and and I think that you know skiing is one of those things that it's uh, the people that do it tend to be pretty uh, pretty into it and they stick with it, and, and I think out there uh, th- those are all properties with really great names. I, you know I look at the stock today, I I don't see any reason why the stock shouldn't do well. Uh, in the coming years, because I think that they'll continue as long as they continue to to manage those properties well. Uh, you know, they pay about a two percent dividend yield today. I think that'll continue to grow as time goes on. Uh, so it this grew a hundred percent earlier this year. It's kind of one of those dividend. slow and steady sort of wins the race uh, investments as long as it's managed properly. I've been to a few of their resorts. They they run a great ship, and five of the six in the U.S. as far as uh, visitation is concerned are under their under their umbrella. And expanding the Epic Pass to new resorts, no one's going to go out and build an evergreen resort. I don't think in the United States, five hundred different resort companies in the U.S. I think this isn't going to be the last acquisition that Vail makes because I think that's the way to grow uh, as far as a publicly traded company is concerned in this sector. I got an email from Caleb Pashia or Pashia. I'm Apologies for whichever one of those I just mispronounced. Um, Caleb writes, recently I heard one of your co-founders predict a 10% market correction before the end of 2014. This got me thinking about my cash position in my portfolio. It seems crazy to pull out of the market right now with everything as hot as it is, but I understand there will be a correction sooner or later. I'm worried about my lack of experience being a problem. I've only been investing for about four years, so my personal experience in the market has been pretty smooth. So my questions are, how do I maintain a buy-and-hold strategy while still preparing for market corrections? Is the reason to do this only to be able to jump on undervalued stocks because of a large cash position? Or are you trying to protect equity with a move like this? Thanks for the show and all the excellent resources. Let me just say before we get into his questions, uh, kudos to Caleb for having the self-awareness to realize not just, I'm new at this, but I'm new at this at a time when the market has been great. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you, there were plenty of people 
myself included, who started investing in the mid to late 1990s. And I, I know, I'll just speak, speak for myself, I didn't have that recognition. And so when, you know, when just about everything in my portfolio was co- was going up, I was like, oh, this, this, this. Just like skiing at Park City for your first yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, this, you isn't live that, in the dream. this isn't that bad at all. This is, this Dot, is, oh my God, just <laughs> yeah. wipes you out. Um, so, uh, and and Jason, uh, Tom Gardner is, is the co-founder. Tom has said this uh, at the beginning of the year, yep. I, I think at an event for our Motley Fool One members. Um, uh, and a few months left in the year, Tom still has time to be right on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it. You just remember things can change very quickly. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I look at cash. I think this is sort of the philosophy of investing, right? I mean, it's, it's tough to say there's any one right answer because there really isn't one right answer. I think it's everybody, you know, has to kind of come up with their own sort of philosophy on it. And, and so personally for me, I always like maintaining at least 5% cash in my portfolio because I want to have that opportunity uh, to take advantage of, you know, either 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 names on my watch list that I'm interested in buying, or perhaps uh, holdings that I already have in the portfolio. You know, there might be an opportunity to add to some of those holdings. Now, I mean, it's 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 worth mentioning. Okay, if you have that cash in your portfolio, and then you know you have that opportunity, you can spend that cash. Well, then you don't have any cash left. Uh, so, I mean, you can look at that one of two ways. Either you you try to make sure you consistently add some cash to that portfolio periodically, um, or in conditions like these, in markets like these, where uh, it's I guess I don't know frothy maybe is a good word. I mean, it seems like it's a bit frothy. Um, enthusiasm is certainly high. It's worth going through. Taking a look at some of your positions and maybe thinking about trimming those positions back a little bit to raise a little money. Um, obviously, you want to be aware of any tax implications that may come from selling. Uh, but I do periodically go through and look at some of my holdings and think, okay, I want to own that company for many, many years to come. But maybe I can trim that position back a little bit, you know, so that it's one that I don't even have to ever really think about, and, and then it can raise some cash in the process there. Um, and, and that's how we think about it, you know, in in one with the everlasting portfolio that Tom's running is, uh, you know, there are a couple of couple of positions here uh, where he instead of buying a stock, he just utilized that as a, as a cash position in order to help raise that cash and take advantage of uh, any any opportunities that may arise. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I, when I think about my own portfolio. I have a small cash position. I don't know the exact percentage. It's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, of you know four or five, six percent, something like that. Um, but that's something that uh, for me has just been built up uh, because of dividends right. and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think that um, when I think about whatever my next purchase is going to be, whenever it's going to be, uh, I may add some cash. But what is more likely is that I will look at an existing position and say. I think I'm either going to trim it back or I'm just going to say we're going to part ways altogether because I think that – and that's something – you know. I remember David Gardner talking about this years ago and just saying he, he thinks about the classic question, when do I sell a stock? One of the ways he thinks about it is when I find a better place for my money. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's one way to think about it. It's just like, well, look, if I think that this other stock – you know, particularly if there's a correction and all of a sudden that stock is fifteen, twenty percent lower, Taylor. Well, then guess what? I'm I'm selling out of this position and I'm putting my money into that one. Yeah, you want that ability? I haven't sold out of anything yet, but I certainly haven't put money to work in the last few months, um, just because. I, I've seen some companies. My watch list is huge right now. I'm, I'm waiting for this 10% correction if it does happen. Um, so I've probably got a little bit more cash than five to 10%. But if you didn't want to sell out and incur the transaction cost, I've I've 
bought into um, an inverse S&P 500 ETF. Uh, so it, kind of a little bit of hedging there without pulling all into cash because um, I didn't want to reduce my exposure. What is that, an ETF? The, that's, that's, is it shorting the S&P? Yeah, pretty much. So you, you short the whole index. It's it's a small percentage of my portfolio, less than my cash percentage, but still it's there just in case because I, I like the companies that I'm invested in, so I didn't really want to sell out of them yet. But um, that's one option that I've I've taken in the past. Before we wrap up, I, I, I'm not saying this is the next stock you're going to buy, but you mentioned the watch list, Taylor. I'm curious, what's what's one stock on each of your watch lists that you think, you know what, th- this is one that uh, is, maybe it's high on your watch list for a market correction, and all of a sudden, it's 10% cheaper, that sort of thing. Well, I've gotten a little risky with my energy picks lately, so I need some stability. CN Rail, Canadian National Railway, is on my watch list. Um, it just keeps hitting new highs. And when we recommended it in, in Mollyful Canada, I should have bought it, but I, I didn't. And so it's continued to, to run up. But that's something that's on my list. A dividend payer, stable industry, very wide moat. Um, not many new rail companies emerging these days. So. I was just going to say, I'm assuming it's similar to, <laughs> similar to the U.S., where you've got a, a couple of yeah. uh, you know dominant railroad. It's not the sexiest company, but it's something that I, my portfolio needs. So I'm I'm waiting on that to pull back a little bit. What about you, Chase? Uh, yeah, just one point, uh, just on what you were saying there with David Gardner and in you know figuring out when to sell. I think it's also worth noting that sometimes, you know, you figure well where you f- you find a better place for your money to go. Sometimes that better place may just be cash, yeah. right? I mean, maybe you feel like hey, the better place for this to be is in cash right now. So that's also an acceptable uh answer as well. I mean, it doesn't have to just be a stock. Um but yeah, so one that I've kept one that I've been following very closely for a while now um is the Zoom electronic money transfer company ticker is X O O M? It's actually a company I featured in our stocks 2015 report that just came out. Um, I've been covering it now for uh, about a year, and just just a big fan of, of what this company's doing. I and mean, it's taking mobile, uh, it's taking money transfer mobile, uh, disrupting companies like Western Union, really utilizing the internet and mobile technology to its advantage. It just runs a really capital light business. Uh, talk with Uncle Joe about this one a couple times too. I think nice. he's a fan of the business model, and uh, and so that's one that I continue to look at. And um, I, I foresee that one getting in my portfolio at some point or another. Is one of the ways they're disrupting Western Union is they have their own Telegram business? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Now, is this is this bank, account to account directly, or is this kind of like a PayPal where you have to remove the money from? It can be account to account. Essentially, okay. it's it's uh, money transfers from the United States out to okay. other uh, other countries, and so it's it's taking advantage of of the the immigrant population that still has family back in other countries, and so you know it's a very uh, popular thing to do is to, is to transfer money back to their families, and so you know Zoom is is you know they they issue the. Uh, the the big physical infrastructure that Western Union has, and, and you know that's dragging Western Union down in, in Zoom because it's so capitalized. You see these tremendous margins, uh, and they have a, a risk management model that really you know allows them to, to instantly fund the recipients, which is is another uh, differentiator. It's a very exciting company. I like it a lot. So if you're in Africa and you get an email from an American prince saying <laughs> I'm going to transfer money to you, it might just be real. It, it distinctly could be. <laughs> I'd be careful though. <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.